It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code PROGRAM. You're listening to Cork Today on Replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed. Patricia Messenger on C103. And a very good Thursday morning to you as we welcome you along to the programme. John Paul is on a well-deserved break for the rest of this week and next week. So Bernie is sitting in for John Paul and she's available to take your calls at 1850-333-103. And as you've probably been hearing uh, all morning on the news, the cash is certainly out of the bag. I was off yesterday because I had to travel to uh, Dublin because I had the great, great honour to have been inducted into the Hall of Fame on behalf of the Broadcasting Authority of Ireland and IMRO Radio Awards. Every year they induct four people into the Hall of Fame Awards and when you look back at previous people who have won the Hall of Fame Awards, the mind boggles. All of the greats of Irish radio are up there. The, some of my heroes of radio, the likes of Marion Finucane, Ronan Collins is there, Sean Moncrief, uh, Pat Kenny, Gay Byrne, Mario Rosenstock. I mean, the list literally just goes on and on. So it was in July of this year, I got a phone call to say that I had been nominated for a Hall of Fame award. Couldn't believe it because I didn't even know that I'd been nominated and that the committee had decided I was to be one of the recipients this year. And would I accept would I what? Says I. Of course I will. So the only thing was, they said, you have to keep it quiet and uh, keep it quiet. And I said, until when? And they said, until September. And I had initially thought that before I went to the event yesterday that I that they were going to announce who the four inductees were because I didn't know until I went to Dublin yesterday who the other three were. But I had thought that about three days before they would be releasing the names. So therefore, I would be able to talk about it on air. 
and I would be able to tell family and friends but then it turned out no and then as I headed off yesterday we found out the day before I wasn't allowed to say anything there was an embargo actually I think until 6 o'clock this morning the embargo uh, was in place and I know at 11 this morning on the IMRO radio awards on their social media they're actually they videotaped the awards ceremony yesterday and it was a paired back Hall of Fame awards than what it was in previous years but that wasn't taking from the event it was lovely we were only able to bring two guests with us. Normally you could bring a load of people with you. So you could only bring two. So it was a much smaller uh, affair. But when I got to Dublin, I discovered the other inductees were the wonderful George Hamilton. Uh, and a nation holds its breath, that George Hamilton. And also Declan Meehan, who many people would know he was, he, he's with uh, East Coast Radio now. He was, of course, for many years with uh, Today FM. And then there was another gorgeous man by the name of Stephen Clemens, who unfortunately had passed away uh, last year, a little over year and a half ago I think it was in the January of 2020 was when he passed away and it was his brother Gavin who accepted the award posthumously for Stephen Stephen was with uh, BBC Radio Ulster and he had been with uh, Q Radio before that and it was just really hard for Stephen's family and his brother Gavin goodness me it's just it's always so difficult to pick up awards like that when somebody died so young as well he was only in his uh, late 40s but and I really felt I really felt my heart broke for uh, Gavin but it was wonderful it was just a lovely lovely day and we got uh, the plaque that goes up on the wall in the BAI offices normally what would happen is on the day you go back to the BAI 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 office they put the plaque up on the wall and you get your picture taken with it but obviously that wasn't able to happen yesterday so the plaques that are to go up on the wall will be put up today and then they gave all of us one of the plaques so I brought it have it here I can see it sitting out there behind Bernie and we're going to put it up here we'll have it up on the wall here at the C103 radio so when we're back open to people coming into the building you'll be able to see it it's it's on the wall but thank you to well I think thank you to everyone I've worked with over the years that was one of the things that I said yesterday I, had, I was allowed to do a three minute speech and that was difficult to try to get everything you wanted to say into uh, three minutes and you know one and I did thank all of the colleagues all of my colleagues over the years over the over the 30 years I've been here at C103 and before that when I would have been involved in pirate radio and would have been involved in in Tip FM in the very early days uh, in Clamel. So many people have been on this radio journey with me, uh, colleagues both on air and in management and all of them in their own way have played a role in my uh, career. It was great yesterday to have my husband with me, Brendan, because we've been on this radio journey. We've both worked, we met in radio and we've worked in radio together throughout uh, all of our radio careers. So it was great to have uh, him there yesterday because he's been instrumental in my career and also lovely for my son to be able to join us. Unfortunately, we didn't bring Marsha. It wouldn't have been appropriate to have brought Marsha. But I did get to mention her. I I did get to mention her in my speech because she's been an important part of this radio journey. And radio, through radio, I found her. And through radio, she came into our lives. And I think because of her, I think I've become a different broadcaster. Uh, I mean, certainly before Marsha came to live with me, I wouldn't have had any understanding of what it was like to parent a special needs child. I wouldn't have had any understanding of what it's like to be a full time carer. Uh, And I think that softened me in many ways and it's changed my opinions and changed my views in many ways. So I think, you know, 
I can say thank you to her for changing me as a broadcaster as well. And of course, my listeners, where would I be without without you? You're the reason that I turn up every day. And there's many people listening to me this morning that have been with me literally since the start. There has been people who've grown up listening to this radio station listening to this radio programme. There are people who've grown old listening to this radio programme. There's people who've raised families listening to this radio programme. And that's the reason that I do what I do. I do it because I have such wonderful listeners and I have been touched so many times by listeners over the years either sharing their own stories or sharing my life with me when I battled there's been so many battles over the years particularly because of uh, Marcia going through all of that adoption uh, process and it was because of the support and the encouragement of listeners and and I've over the years done fundraising be it for the children of uh, Chernobyl and subsequent fundraising for for Irish charities uh, since and I'm always just blown away by the generosity of people and when listeners and people have come on to do interviews about you know falling on hard times or medical emergencies or people needing something for their children again it's always it's always you the listener that comes I would pick up the phone to say I can help that person I'd like to make a donation and you know for that I'm truly truly uh, thankful so I said yesterday in my acceptance speech that I was humbled and I am I really am humbled but I really really do appreciate this award you can go really in Irish Radio Awards you can go no higher than to be inducted into the Hall of uh, Fame and that there's still a bit of I can't really believe that it's happened sort of thing. There's still a bit of that but I'm very thankful. I'm very thankful and I'm very appreciative and I'm very appreciative of this radio station who have allowed me to do what I do. It's coming up now to almost 31 years. It'll be 31 years in November. So thank you to countless people who are sending in texts congratulating me on the Hall of Fame award. There'd be way too many to mention but I, I've I can see them all coming in here in front of me. So thank you. Thank you for that. From the bottom of my heart, uh, thank you. But the show goes on and we have another programme uh, to get through today. In a couple of minutes, we are going to be talking about the no confidence motion in Simon Coveney. First day back for the Dáil yesterday, we knew there was going to be a no confidence motion. I think everybody knew that it was going to pass, but it was how much it was going to pass uh, by. And, you know, it was comfortable. It was 92 votes to 54, but there was a bit of drama attached to it all. We had the Fianna Fáil TD, Mark McSherry, resigning the party whip just hours before the uh, vote. And of course, all of this goes back to Simon Coveney's handling of the Catherine Sapone affair and her to be appointed as a special envoy. And it's been going on since July. And I remember when it first started and the whole saga was over, this appointment had been made and the Taoiseach didn't know. And when did the Taoiseach find out? And when did the Taunish find out? And it was a kind of a spat and over and a back spat. And I remember back in July when it first started, I remember thinking, this is kind of a silly season story. This will run for a week and then it'll disappear. And it didn't run for a week. It just kind of gained legs and traction as it went along. And it was who said what and when did you say that? And 
Simon Coveney apologised. Then he was back in apologising again. And of course, lots of people, and I certainly would like to hear at this stage now, Catherine Sapone's side of this story, because she definitively can put to bed who knew what, when, what was said to her, what was her understanding of it. Did she mix up what she heard Simon Coveney saying? Did she go and ask for this position? Did, was she the one who invented this position? But she's the one really that for once and for all can finally put a line uh, under it. And I do read today that Catherine Sapone will be asked to appear before the Oireachtas Committee. Now, she'll be asked... Remember, she now is a private citizen. She was a former children's minister, but at the moment now she is a private citizen living in America. She can be asked, but she can't be forced to attend. It seems TDs and senators on the Oireachtas Foreign Affairs Committee all agreed yesterday to now invite Catherine Sapone to appear before them in the coming weeks. The committee is, of course, going to examine the attempts to appoint her as this UN special envoy. It's already held two hearings with the Foreign Affairs Minister, Simon uh, Coveney. He's been forced to apologise and he has given a fulsome apology. Two Fine Gael members of the committee, Senator Joe O'Reilly and one of our own, um, David Stanton, both spoke against the move to bring in Catherine Sapone, but there was ultimately no opposition to a proposal from the committee chair and the Fine Gael TD Charlie Flanagan to now invite Catherine Sapone to come before the committee and to answer their questions. The ministers will also seek a hearing with the Department of the Taoiseach's General Secretary, that's Martin Fraser. They want Martin Fraser to clarify exactly when Taoiseach Micheál Martin was told of the proposal to appoint Catherine Sapone. The move comes in the wake, of course, of the Tónaisteli of Radker disclosing this week that the Taoiseach's office was told told of the proposal to appoint Catherine Sapone the day before the Cabinet met in early July, at which Micheál Martin was said to have been blindsided. Catherine's poem then withdrew her name and then of course remember there was a huge controversy around Catherine Sapone and the private party that she held in the Marion uh, Hotel that had been attended by uh, Leo Varadkar and then Sinn Féin, Social Democrats and Fianna Fáil all spoke in favour of bringing Catherine Sapone before the committee and the committee has also agreed to write once again to Minister Simon Coveney to seek further clarity on circumstances surrounding the hacking of his phone. So it doesn't look like the saga has gone to bed. Your thoughts welcome to 1850-333-103. Bernie taking your calls. You can text her WhatsApp 0862 103, 103. Some of your thoughts and comments in on the vote of no confidence, Simon Coveney, uh, which passed uh, yesterday quite comfortably and the whole Catherine Sapone affair. Uh, Dermot in West Cork said, Catherine Sapone, it's like the kettle calling the pot black. He has seen all this, all of his life politicians, they just look after each other. Liam in Bruff says, it's amazing how our focus is drawn to the soap opera of Dahl Aaron again, looking inwards to themselves instead of what is happening in this uh, country. Hi, no name on this. The fact that Fine Gael keep harping on about what a wonderful job Simon Coveney is doing, I feel is sickening for the ordinary working people of this country. We have to go out to do our work to the best of our ability every day for far less wages. The man was totally wrong in what he did, but his arrogance refused to let him admit it. There, That has always been, there has and will always be jobs for the boys. You constantly hear them pushing XTDs onto boards and other positions 
questions, some that they're not qualified for. Uh, I feel that Simon Coveney should be sanctioned. It's such a bad example to young people growing up. They've obviously learned nothing from Leo Varadkar's leaking of confidential documents. Michal Martin, I feel, has lost the run of himself. And Sinn Féin will turn us into a socialist country. I'm not affiliated to any political party, but who in God's name would you vote for if there was an election in at the moment? I feel they're all blatantly insulting the people that get up in the morning and go out to do an honest day's work. I feel we are totally forgotten about, says a listener who seems very, very angry indeed. And uh, Michael in Castletown Bear, thank you for your kind comments about the Hall of Fame. Appreciate that. Back to business though, Michael says. Back to the business of the day and the vote of confidence in Simon Coveney. What a waste of dull time. The Sinn Féin party reminds me of infants in school singing the same song in class every single day. And as for poor Deputy Mark McSherry, his move has been expected for a long time. God love him. According to Michael, he left the Fianna Fáil two-day thinking in uh, Cavan. And uh, it was reported that he was roaring outside the ballroom. I'm sorry for him, says Michael, but it appears that it is in his nature. 1850-333-103. And can I just read another text that came in that's uh, on a different subject, but I'm wondering how many others are going to be affected by this. This is from Dan to say, Hi, my son is attending uh, the old CIT, now, what is it, MTU, Munster Technology University. He is in a The accommodation is costing €100 a week. Had to be paid in advance. He gets an email yesterday saying that his business course has been moved online. Oh, what a joke. At this point, that's 8,000 MTU students still have no timetables and no idea where to go next Monday when they will all descend on the campus. It's a disgrace. I'm so angry, says Dan, at this unfair and disrespectful treatment of my son and the thousands of other paying customers in this university. And if people have paid for accommodation up front only now, that's a very, very late with a week to go, less than a week to go to discover that your course is moving online. As I say, I don't know how many other students that is affecting. 1850-333-103. Bernie, taking your calls. Work today on C103. Call Patricia with your comment. 1850-333-103. I know I don't normally comment on ads, but that ads ad for radio was brilliant. I didn't, I was, I was just said to Bernie, what's this advertising? It's excellent. It's really good. Now, yesterday saw the start of the new doll term after the summer recess with a Sinn Féin motion of no confidence in the Foreign Affairs Minister, Simon Coveney. To discuss the first day back, I'm joined by Adam Higgins, political correspondent with the Irish Sun newspaper. Good morning. Good morning to you, Adam. Good morning, Patricia, and congratulations on your induction <laughs> to the Hall of Fame. Thank you very much. I was up in your neck of the woods yesterday. Anyway, now, was it was this very much seen as a political stunt by Sinn Féin? Or does the Sapone issue go to the very heart of politics, which is what was stated by Mary Lou MacDonald of Sinn Féin? Well, I think if you ask that question in length of the House, you'll get all sorts of different answers depending on which side of the House that uh, the, the person is that you're asking the question. So for Sinn Féin, this was very much a attempt to highlight what they believe is the cronyism of Fianna Fáil and Fianna Gael in government. And they say that this has been a hallmark of their leadership over the past 10, 20 years in positions like this. Whereas if you look at the situation and after someone in the government side of the house, they'd say that Sinn Féin are trying to pull a political stunt here. They're trying to, you know, use this uh, mistake, admittedly a mistake from uh, Simon Coveney in the way he went about hiring uh, Catherine Zappone. He still stands over that Catherine Zappone would have made a great US, uh, 
envoy for the, the UN, special envoy for the UN for Ireland, but he says that he didn't handle it correctly in informing the Taoiseach beforehand, before trying to make this appointment. But they would say that Sinn Féin are trying to use this to, to you know, extend a, a bit of political gain over the, the government parties. And if you look at last night's results, I mean, this has been a, a big success for Sinn Féin. They're, they're now, as of today, the biggest party in the Dáil. They have the most TDs because we know last night Mark McSherry of Fianna Fáil resigned from the party, the parliamentary party as opposed to a vote in confidence in Simon Coveney. Was that in any surprise, Mark McSherry resigning? It was a big surprise. Now, he had been talking about, not about doing this exactly what he did last night, but he kind of, he got the feeling that he was deeply unhappy with how the party has been run, and he has been for a long time. So, I mean, it wouldn't be too much of a surprise that this happens, but I know last night when we were in Leinster House, just it was just before the debate that uh, this letter seemed to go around that Mark McSherry was leaving the parliamentary party and he was going to vote no confidence in Simon Coveney. It did come as a shock that it happened then, and this is the, the issue that he has decided to... to Go on. Do you think the no confidence motion has damaged the coalition? I do, yeah. And I mean, you can see that directly in the numbers. And Mark McSherry has, they are now one TD down. They're, they're no longer, Fianna Fáil are no longer the largest party in, uh, in the Dáil because of this. And so it has deeply damaged them. When you look at the, then the relationship between them, I know some people in the coalition might say that this was, has galvanised the three coalition parties against Sinn Féin and you saw a lot of those very angry and bitter and fiery exchanges in the Dáil last night. And I think there's two reasons for that. One of them is because the parties are kind of rounding on Sinn Féin and trying to accuse them of using this as a political stunt. But I think another reason was simply the geography of where this vote happened last night. For the past, I think, almost a year now, these TDs have been in this enormous room in the convention centre due to COVID measures that they couldn't sit in the Dáil. And it really zaps all the energy out of the, the debates when these happen there. But now yesterday, for the first time in, in probably a year, they were back facing each other, seeing the whites of each other's eyes mm. in the debate. And I think That's that kind point. of added to the atmosphere and fieriness of the debate last night. But this saga, Adam, has been dragging on now for almost eight weeks. I mean, when you first heard about it, did anybody expect it to go on for so long, the Sapone affair? No, I don't think anyone uh, expected this to really drag on, and that's what it has done, is drag on. It's, and it's really the Simon Coveney's handling of this that has caused it to drag on. And I think if you spoke to him himself, he would probably agree with me here, in that if he had to put this to bed at the very start, if he had to taken this uh, claim seriously, because this led to claim to cronyism, and then we know the Merrion Hotel situation with the Tarnish also added fire to it. And to be honest, I don't think it's over just yet. I mean... We know now Simon Harris is going to do a press event today at one o'clock for his role as Minister of Higher Education and no doubt he'll be asked about the claims that were levelled at him by McCarthy in the Dáil last night that he leaked this report. Now a spokesperson for the Minister has said that's not true and McCarthy was abusing Dáil privilege when he said that. But this is going to carry it on for another couple of days. And then you have the situation where the Foreign Affairs Committee have asked Catherine Zappone, will she come into the committee to give her side of things? If Catherine Zappone comes in, then that's another couple of days that this will rumble on. And we know the Taoiseach now next week is going to New York for a UN meeting. He'll be there for a couple of days. And we know that Catherine Zappone runs in those circles in New York and will the Taoiseach meet Catherine Zappone. We don't know if that's something that's going to be on the cards or if she'll attend one of these events and be asked questions by journalists about it. So I think there still is 
a little bit way to go in this story. Do you think Catherine Sabone will accept that invitation to appear before the Foreign Affairs or Octus Committee? To be honest, I'd be shocked if Catherine Sapone uh, appeared before the, the committee. Now, she was a, a good minister and, and a good parliamentarian. And a, a lot of people have a lot of great things to say to her across all sides of the House, that is, as well, opposition and being government. But I think if she hasn't said anything up to now, I can't imagine why she would decide that she wants to come in and wade into this and knowing that it would cause further trouble for her uh, former cabinet colleagues in Fine Gael. But yet she's the only one who can definitively put to bed what happened, who said what and when. Well, the, Simon Coveney was asked about that at the Fine Gael Think in their last week, or earlier this week it was, how long this is, feels like this has been going on for months. But he was asked that, that similar question, look, she needs to come out and put this to bed. And he said, look, I, there's no, nothing that uh, Catherine Zappone would say that's different to anything that I'm telling you now. And so I can understand how people would say, look, if she comes out, says everything happened the same way Simon did and explains things, then would it put it to bed? But we thought that Simon Coveney coming before the Foreign Affairs Committee would put it to bed. We thought him coming forward again for a second time would put it to bed. We thought this vote last night would put it to bed. And yet here we are talking about it again. And we know that we'll probably be talking about it again tomorrow, depending and maybe next week, depending on what happens in the Foreign Affairs Committee. And a listener is asking, Adam, can Catherine Sapone be forced to come before that Rock This Committee? No, no, no. As far as I'm aware, she can't because she's no longer uh, a doll member or is connected with the state. Now, I believe that there was some sort of talk about changing the legislation to enable the committees to be able to bring in former um, ministers and TDs and that sort of thing. But as far as I'm aware, uh, the minister doesn't have to. She's not obliged to. Okay, and just before we let you go, one of our listeners sent in a text. They were reading an article that you wrote this morning uh, in the Irish Sun. Uh, listener says, uh, I'm reading Adam's piece that the, the government are considering increasing drinking hours at nightclubs and leaving bars to stay open at six o'clock in the morning. Do we not have a big enough drink problem in this uh, country? And you are writing about this uh, the, in today's paper. And the Arts Minister, Catherine Martin, very much in favour of this. Very much so, yes. So Catherine Martin and the uh, Department of Justice alongside her launched this report, this task force report. They want to dramatically change Ireland's nightlife economy after the pandemic. So in the coming months, they want to see things like they want to change what they call the ancient li- uh, liquor licensing laws so that pubs can, and nightclubs can stay open later. They want to see uh, venues like museums and galleries used for kind of midnight concerts and things like that. They were actually even speaking about, included in the report, is uh, a midnight food market for Cork City as well. So there's a lot of things across that. But I think the, ch- the main thing that's grabbing all the headlines today is that it would ch- allow people to get a drink later at night. Now, the exact time on that is yet to be decided. But I asked the minister yesterday at the press conference, I was like, is this a situation where you want to see people being able to enjoy a drink and a dance at a nightclub right up until 6am? And she said, why not? Like, I mean, she said, that's holding Dublin, Dublin in particular back. She says cities across Europe can do this, so why can't we do it here in Ireland? OK, there's more to follow on that story for sure. Adam, in the meantime, thank you for that and thanks for joining us on the programme. Thank you. Good morning to you. That is Adam Higgins, who is political correspondent with the the Sun newspaper. Just on that uh, story of people being allowed uh, to stay at nightclubs and stay drinking until six in the morning. One of our listeners not happy with it at all. Has this government got a brain cell between them? They recently 
put up the price of drink and stopped drink being sold uh, with, oh, that's the minimum unit uh, pricing and stopping, you know, offers inside in shops. And they did that because they know Irish people have a drink problem. And now they're disregarding all the information from the experts on the drink issue in this and the drink culture in this uh, country. And instead, they want to leave bars open later. Isn't there enough misery in this country without introducing what I would perceive as a stupid law? I think one of the things, though, because somebody else is saying, would that not increase antisocial behaviour? I think the theory behind it is it would reduce antisocial behaviour because at the moment when you have a set drinking time and all the bars, like at the moment everyone has to be out at half past 11, but normally it would be what, 12, 1, 2 in the morning when it comes to nightclubs when we're out of pandemic times. And what happens is everybody swells out into the street at the same time. And that has led to antisocial behaviour, particularly in cities and large urban areas. And if you staggered the opening time so that bars could open until 6, that way people went home at all sort of different times throughout the night. That's how it's done in European countries. And that's the theory. That's what I'm thinking that Catherine Martin is uh, talking about. 1850-333-103. Bernie's taking your calls. You can text her WhatsApp 0862-103-103. Court today on C103. Text or WhatsApp Patricia with your comment. 0862-103-103. Now a damning report on the growing divide in access to housing has highlighted how the most vulnerable sections of our society are often left living in either overcrowded or inadequate housing. To discuss the report, which was compiled by the Irish Human Rights Commission and the ESRI, I'm joined by Karen Kieran, Kiernan, who is uh, Chief Executive of One uh, Family. Good morning to you, Karen. Good morning, Patricia. And you're, and you're welcome to the programme. Now, the report showed that lone parents are particularly vulnerable to poor housing conditions. I take it with a group like yours at One Family, that didn't come as any real surprise to you? No, we weren't surprised at all. But I think what was shocking was to see all the research being brought together in this report and where we were able to see that actually lone parents and their children did worse across so many different areas in relation to housing. You know, there's more homeless families or one-parent families. They have the worst types of housing to live in in terms of being substandard. There are very low rates of home ownership, real difficulties with affording rent. So we just saw all of the, this research brought together and it just showed how difficult it is, which is completely borne out by our services and our helpline who get calls on issues to do with housing all the time. And it's a massive stressor for parents out there around the country. Yeah, I think for me, one of the most shocking headlines from it was the statistic, 53% of all homeless families are single parents. Yeah, and actually it was higher a few years ago. Um, but certainly the rate of homelessness for lone parents are, is going up and at the moment and for other families it's coming down. So it is, it is a real crisis and it's something that we're really worried about. And indeed, the UN Special, Special Rapporteur on the Right to Housing, who spoke at this launch earlier in the week, was appalled at what he saw for one-parent families in Ireland and said that the government has to act now because why are we treating certain types of children uh, in this way in this country? So he, he really put it up to us. Um, mm. And that's someone who has a, a global 
uh, brief in terms of his role, you know. Yeah, I was speaking earlier in the week with Social Justice Ireland about the Housing for All plan and they were pointing out that it was a flawed plan and they were pointing out what was wrong with it. Uh, but And we ended up uh, touching on a whole host of things around homelessness. But one of the, the points that was made was it it's impossible to get an accurate figure when it comes to people who are actually homeless because you've got families who are living in uh, with, like you could have a single parent and one, two, three children living in with grandparents. So they're in a a lot of overcrowded situations and many of them are not even counted and technically they are homeless. Yeah, that's one of the problems with the government figures is that they don't count everybody and the housing fraud is based on the official figures and not the real figures. So people living in direct provision, people living in refuges, so mostly women because there aren't any refuges for men, but women who flee abusive um, relationships and their children, they're not counted. As well as you say, all the people living in overcrowded situations back in their childhood bedrooms, if they're able to do that, um, or couch surfing, none of those people are counted. So Housing for All, you know, came out and there's, you know, there's undoubtedly some good things in it. But what we and a lot of other organisations were disappointed in was that the, we had been calling for a family homelessness strategy as something that's really urgent because of the crisis that we're in. And there wasn't anything really about families in there. And, and that has to be addressed. Do you hear, a Karen, from many lone parents, the problems that arise when they go to look to rent a property as a lone parent? Yeah, and I think this was covered through the media during the week as well, really well, in terms of, you know, there's this kind of mythical example of the perfect tenants being the Google couple. And everyone else kind of falls short. And certainly anyone with children or animals may not be as desirable to um, rent to landlords who have, you know, their pick of 50 or 100 tenants queuing up to get in. The other issue is for anybody, um, but for many lone parents who have to rely on social welfare payments or some kind of housing support, landlords just may not want that and they don't have to take people. So that's really difficult. So we do see and people really feel that they're judged. Um, And there's also issues, you know, for anyone who's separating, you know, they have to find two places to live. Mm -hmm. And for mums and dads who are going to share parenting of their children, as most do after separation, they both need somewhere that's big enough and suitable for their children. So and we're potentially going to see more separations coming out of COVID. So all of that is putting pressure, not just on the housing available, but also on parents and children in terms of where they can live that will give them a decent quality um, of accommodation. And, and it's really difficult. So we hear this all the time. I mean, even in the counselling service, you know, people are so stressed about their housing. Um, the helpline gets called all the time in relation to housing, how people are assessed, you know, whether it's fair, that they can't get anywhere. It's just so difficult. And if you don't have a roof over your head, it's so hard to move forward or to plan or to think about taking any of those next steps that people want to do in terms of education or career or trying to hold it together. Okay. For many of the people we've worked with over the last couple of years, their addresses have been hotel numbers. You know, that's where their children are growing up. Yeah. It's absolutely shocking. I yeah. spoke about Katrina Toomey from Cork, a wonderful um, lady who runs Cork Penny Dinners, uh, and she's talking about, and this is the first time that they've, they've been doing it, children coming out of hotels calling to Cork Penny Dinners to pick up their school lunches because there's no fridge inside in the hotel room and that parents can't store in the food in there and so they can't prepare the little lunch that the kids need to take to school with them and they're calling it to, to Penny Dinners. Shocking, yeah. shocking. Absolutely. All right. All right. Listen, Karen, thank you for that. And uh, thanks for joining us on the programme this morning.
Thank you. Good morning to you. That is uh, Karen Kiernan, uh, Chief Executive of OneFam. Some of your calls and texts in. Listen, says, would you please call this out over the airwaves this morning? Whoever is disposing of their grass cuttings in corkscrew in Bandon, will you please stop? We're watching you. It's disgusting. We're not a dumping ground up here. Thank you for calling this out. So the corkscrew area of Bandon, whoever is dumping their grass cuttings, you are being watched by somebody who really does not appreciate it. And grass cuttings, you know, they're compostable. You can get a compost bin uh, for them. And let me just stay in the West Cork area because Anne says, Patricia, can anybody tell me, please, what is causing the horrific smell from Clonakilty Bay when the tide is out? It has... This listener feels and feels it's only gotten bad since the treatment plant works were completed. It smells like sewerage. It's disgusting. And Anne says before somebody jumps in and says that's agricultural smell, it's not because she says farming has been going on the same way forever. Nothing has changed there and this smell is a new smell. Has anybody else noticed that? Clonakilty Bay, when the tide goes out, a very strong smell of sewerage, according to uh, Anne. And then a listener had heard us mention when we were talking about bingo was on in Bosford on Monday night and on Tuesday we had a flurry of texts in from people saying it was great, they felt safe and COVID passes were checked and everybody felt very safe and we're saying well done to the organisers. This listener said, listening to it was great that people had a good night at the bingo but some of us were left very disappointed because the buses, the usual buses didn't run. Now in fairness when we were announcing that the bingo was back on Monday and there was much excitement that the bingo was going to be back on Monday in Bosovant we contacted the organisers to see about buses because we had people asking us and they said that they tried their best to try to organise buses for last Monday but they weren't able to but they're doing their best to organise buses for next Monday and they've told us they'll let us know if they can get their buses up and running so they don't want to disappoint anyone they are doing their very best to try to put buses back on the road so hang in there and hopefully they'll be back by next Monday and then a listener was on to us saying, could you find out please, is this a scam caller? I was afraid to answer it and I knew straight away looking at it without even having to check it that it was a scam because it was a 0800519680. The minute you'd look at it you'd know it was one of those funny numbers but you're right not to answer it. Never answer any call that isn't in your phone if it's somebody who's genuinely trying to get through to you they will leave a message with their telephone number and then you can call them back and that is the safest way so as not to engage in scam callers. And look, if by mistake you answer it, it's not going to cost you anything and nothing's going to happen. It's if you engage with them and you give them access to your computer or you start giving them passwords or you start giving them details of your bank account, that's when you're when you're in trouble. But just to answer as soon as you know it's a scam call, hang up on it. But the best advice that we've been giving for quite some time is simply don't answer any of the calls. Now, on this proposal and this talk about late night drinking and should pubs remain open until six in the morning and nightclubs open until six in the morning and it is plans that the government are discussing at the moment. Not everybody happy with that. Somebody said it would be a disgraceful if nightclubs were allowed to open that late. All nightclubs should close at the same time as pubs, says somebody. I don't know if everybody would be in fair would be in favour of that, of having nightclubs and pubs all closing at the uh, same time. And also in on this, Patricia, I think it's absolutely that 
crazy that proposal to allow pubs and nightclubs to remain open until 6am in the morning. We don't want people to have access to that much drinking time. They should put it to a vote of the people. They should be asking taxi drivers. They should be asking the Gardaí. What about people who work in A&E who have to deal with drunken idiots, mothers and fathers trying to deal with their children who don't want to limit their boozing. Such a law, I feel, would be grossly irresponsible. Okay, I don't think we've had anybody yet say that they approve of that proposal. Everybody so far has contacted us this morning is very much against it. Okay, and still getting in a number of calls in about Simon Coveney, the vote of no confidence and the Catherine Sapone affair. Dennis in Glenmire says it's all about votes. Shame on Fine Gael when we have sick children on waiting lists. They are spending so much taxpayers' money, I feel, just trying to defend themselves. Simon Coveney should have come out and admitted he got it wrong. They're all just afraid of the opinion polls. That is what it is all about. And that's across all of the parties. Somebody else says, Patricia, I suggest that this country could learn from the way Boris Johnson does things. Boris Johnson sacked and demoted people in his reshuffle recently. It only that had never happened in this country, says the listener. That's what we need to happen here. John in uh, Clam on the Shin on the Simon Coveney Catherine Sapone saga. All Fine Gael and Fianna Fáil are doing is making the Sinn Féin party bigger and better. I'm predicting in the next election, Fianna Fáil will get between 23 and 25 seats, Fine Gael 30 seats and Sinn Féin will walk away with 50 seats plus. That's from John in Clonakilty. Well, since yesterday, since Mark McSharry resigned from the Fianna Fáil party, Sinn Féin are now the biggest single party in uh, Dáil Éireann. And hi Patricia I am ashamed to say I'm an Irish citizen listening to the cover-ups that appeared to have gone on in Dáil Éireann yesterday nothing short of a scandalous what have we become as a nation when politicians can act like that just to hold on to their jobs. All of the TDs who voted for voted confidence in Sinn Féin our devoted confidence in Simon Coveney on the Sinn Féin no confidence motion. Shame on all of this. Then this will come back to bite them, particularly at the next election. Mark my words, says a texter. And Micah says, Patricia, thinking about, uh, thinking again, all hypothetically, if Catherine Sapone did come in front of the Dáil Committee and remember she's been going to be invited now to come before the Dáil Oireachtas uh, Committee on Foreign Affairs if Michael says she does come before that Dáil Committee and if she even gives a hint of a difference to what Simon Coveney outlined happened they will be back calling for his head or the head of the department where would it all stop? I think that the people who are rumbling on with this stupid saga are now are not doing this country any service. If anything, they're doing untold damage. Thanking you. And that's from Michael. And it's one of the points that I was making to Adam Higgins, the political correspondent earlier. It was one of those issues that it just seems incredible that it's been rumbling on and on and on. It started in July. It seemed like a bit of a storm in a teep teacup. 
it seemed like it was a little bit of a silly season story that often happens in the summer months where people are trying to fill newspapers, radio programs like this, uh, political shows. People are trying to, you know, latch on to anything that will give them something to talk about. And to me, it looked like something that would run for a week or two and then would be gone. I didn't think in mid-September as the doll went back after their summer recess that we would be still talking about it. But by God, we are. And it doesn't seem that the wind has been taken out of the sails of the story yet. I thought there were so many things that have happened. So that'll be it. That will put it to bed. Yeah, that'll be, it'll be all finished there. And I definitely thought yesterday with the vote of no confidence, if Simon Coveney won, it would put it to bed. But certainly it's getting a lot of column inches again today. So it doesn't, certainly doesn't look like it's gone away. And can I just take some time out just for a minute or two to say thank you to all of the people who are sending in the most gorgeous, sweetest, kindest words about my Hall of Fame award yesterday. And, and I really do appreciate it. And some of the lovely texts and calls that are coming in nearly have me in tears. So thank you. to uh, too, too numerous to mention all, but Martin, thank you for your kind words. Mags in Passage West. Uh, Teresa for your nice words. Emma in Kilworth. Someone uh, calling me a legend. <laughs> thank you for that. To Mary. Thank you, Mary. To Ed in Dunmanway, who's wondering when there's a party. Uh, COVID times, Ed. COVID times. Joan and Shane in Bantry. Thank you, Joan and uh, Shane. No name on that one. Somebody who remembers me starting out in Bandon back in the day in 1990. A cabin up the mountain. And, you know, whenever I go to West Cork and I'm driving to Clonacilty, I pass where those cabins used to be. And we had two years of great fun when we started broadcasting there first back in uh, 1990. Thank you to another uh, Mary by text uh, and or by WhatsApp and then there was lots in by text this morning. Jill, thank you Jill, Finbar O'Brien, Mike in Bantry, somebody calling me the Gabo in North Cork. I could only wish for that and on and on and I know Paul Burney, bless her heart and she's out answering the phones on her own got a flurry of calls as well so thank you to John O'Donovan in the city, to Bernard Moynihan who passed on his congratulations, John O'Connor in Blackpool, Jim Healy in Middleton, Dermot of the ICSA in West uh, Cork, Olive in Mitchellstown. Thank you for your kind words, uh, Olive. Eddie in uh, West Cork and uh, many, many more on and on it goes. Mary in Newmarket and uh, Charlie Duggan in Whelan. As I say, thank you. Thank you. I really do appreciate them. 1850 Bernie, taking your calls. If there's anything you want to get off your chest, you can text her WhatsApp 0862 103 103. C103 Jobs. A kitchen porter, bar and waiting staff are all required for the Corporate Court Restaurant in Ballyhay and in Kilworth. You need to email corporatecourtrestaurant at gmail.com. Experienced groundworker wanted for a company based in Charleville for projects in the North Cork and Limerick areas. Full clean driver's licence essential. Dave is your contact at 87 Legal secretary required for immediate start. That's at Wilson Daily Solicitors there in Dunmanway. You need to email your CV to info at wilsondailysolicitors.com. And Danjo Fitzgerald's Furniture and Flooring in Mallow. They've got vacancies for full and part-time sales assistance. Please email your CV for the attention of Trina to info at danjofitzgerald.com You're listening to Cork Today on Replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed. Cork Today on C103. Call Patricia.
Patricia with your comment. 1850-333-103. Now, Fianna Fáil's transport spokesperson and a member of the US-Ireland Parliamentary Friendship Group, James O'Connor, TD for Cork East, has called on the Biden administration to reopen US travel to fully vaccinated Irish citizens. And Deputy James O'Connor joins me to discuss this in more detail. Good morning to you, James. Good morning, Patricia. Uh, May firstly, can I congratulate you on your induction to the Radio Hall of Fame today? Thank you very much. That is very, very kind of you. You're welcome uh, to the programme. Can, can I start by asking you about what appears to have been a day of drama for the first day back after the summer recess? Firstly, were you disappointed to see the resignation of Mark McSharry from the Fianna Fáil party? On a personal note, I was. Um, Mark's office is immediately across the corridor from mine and Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com work. Shopify.com work. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds. And they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Mr. House. Um, I know Mark um, to be a hard-working uh, TD who has been returned on multiple occasions by the people of Sligo, uh, North Leach and Rathcommon and Donegal um, to the Dáil. Um, I'm hopeful that he'll come back to the party eventually, but you know there was a growing chasm between Mark's position on key issues um, and, and that of his being a fall colleagues in government, and uh, it is that he can go. So this was really the straw that broke the camel's back for Mark? I think so. You know, on a personal note, you know, I had no issue going in voting um, for, for, for Simon Coveney in terms of my confidence in him. I think he's a hard-working uh, public representative, and although he made a very uh, serious mistake and a number of errors over the last number of weeks, I think his performance in the Department of Foreign Affairs uh, has not been worthy of having him removed from office. And I do have a problem with the, with the current, I think, uh, trial by social media for a lot of politicians around mistakes that they make. Uh, and, the, and the consequences of, of what happened following on from that. Um, and I think yesterday's vote as well, it's very clear that Simon had very strong backing within the Oireachtas, not just by government TDs, but by TDs across the independent benches as well. 
uh, which I was quite surprised with actually how, how wide the margin was when the vote took place last night. Yeah, it was 92 votes to 59. I mean, it was very comfortable. I think a lot of people were, were surprised by that. But do you think this whole saga and this whole vote of no confidence on the first day back, has it damaged the coalition in any way, James? I would not believe so. Um, I think it was an enormous hindrance. I'll give you Good example. Yesterday, I was supposed to have the Minister for Agriculture in, in Formoy uh, in the Mitchestown area for a number of key meetings on issues affecting uh, the equine and horse, horse racing industry. Uh, also, on, on um, engagement with the with the Irish Farming uh, Association as well, uh, and also to, to work with local fishery groups. Uh, and all of those uh, had to be cancelled as a result of yesterday's political stunt. Um, you know what what can be said now is that there will not be another motion no confidence in the minister for up to six months. Uh, so I think that's the, the rules, understanding orders in the doll that that can't happen for another six months. And I don't think this particular issue merits a motion or confidence immediately. What I wanted to see happen is that there would be a doll debate uh, that will allow uh, for the Minister for Foreign Affairs to come before the doll, A, to apologise, which I think was crucial. Um, I want to say from my own perspective that the uh, attempted appointment of Catherine's opponent to this position that was entirely unnecessary in my own view. It was quite clear that there were efforts made by her former cabinet colleagues um, to create a position, uh, in a sense, to look after her um, for the work that, uh, that she had done with them. And I think it was entirely unnecessary. And anyway, we must remember, this is at the very highest level. It's a, it was representative on behalf of our state, on behalf of our government. Uh, and my perspective, I don't think that her ministerial performance uh, merited being appointed to any position on an international basis, including at the United Nations. Yeah, and like you are the youngest uh, TD in the doll, and there is that whole thing of cronyism. And, you know, as a young TD, I mean, did, did you see it as cronyism? Well, like from my perspective, I think it was an unnecessary, an unnecessary appointment. You know, special envoys, they have a role. I think that we all accept that there are people across Irish society in all different sectors, whether it's in, in business and enterprise, or people who may have worked in politics before, um, that could serve the state in a positive capacity on the international stage. And, you know, from my perspective, I'd like to see, uh, you know, envoys working on issues such as our, our peace missions, which is currently the case. Uh, a good example there is that um, Eamon Gilmore is working as a peace envoy in South America on behalf of the state. Uh, also on issues like sports tournaments. Uh, you know, we very successfully held the, the Special Olympics here in 2003, and we are working to try and obtain different sporting uh, events at an international level. So I think that, you know, envoys have a role to play and things like that. But but having a, a specific role on LGBT, uh, to, uh, LGBTQ uh, plus I rights in terms of uh, being at the United Nations, um, I don't see any strategic interest in the state in having somebody filling that position. Um, and that there was no requirement for us. And it's quite clear, looking back through the records of what happened, was that there was efforts made um, through Catherine's opponent, who I felt has quite a lot of neck from reading the text messages that she had been sending to cabinet ministers that were released under FOI. Um, you know, that, that she was very much pushing for this position and wanted to establish a career for herself uh, and in, in international politics and in the United Nations on behalf of the Republic of Ireland, which is something I'm deeply uncomfortable with, and especially given her ministerial performance. You know, one of the most divisive topics that came before the doll since I've been elected uh, was, uh, since February of 2020 in Cork East uh, was the Mother and Baby Homes Report. And, and Catherine's fingerprints are all over that. 
uh, as the minister that was initially involved in the Okay, well, you, uh, wait, others, others will say she was really good at uh, her brief, but I suppose that that is a matter of opinion. Would you like to see her take up the invitation now that's going to her from the Oireachtas Foreign Affairs Committee? Would this put it to bed for once and for all for Catherine Sapone to come out and say exactly what happened or didn't happen? It, that's a very good question. Uh, and I think for her own reputation, um, it's important that she would do so, that she would take up this invitation. You know, Catherine was in the doll, she was in the Shannon, and uh, she started Cabinet as well. Uh, and I know that she will have, uh, a, a, I suppose, a depth of respect for the Oireachtas, for the committees and the procedures that we have um, as, the, as the Parliament of our country. And I hope that she will respect um, the request that has gone to her to come before the committee because the Department of Foreign Affairs reputation, that of Minister Colvin, have all been dragged into disrepute. Um, you know, and I and I feel it would be in in her own best interest uh, and in the interest of those that she has dragged into this controversy with her uh, that she would appear before the committee to be questioned. Okay, but uh, she's a, she's an ordinary member. She's now an ordinary member of the public. She can't be forced, isn't that right? Well, I think if you look at what she's been trying to do over the past twelve months, you'd have to argue that she was trying not to be an ordinary member of the public, Patricia. And um, you know, I just want to be very clear that. Uh, this is a very grave error for all of those that were involved. Um, and just in relation to Minister Coveney, just to reaffirm my position, I think he's a hard-working individual. I think he's been good in the Department of Foreign Affairs throughout Brexit, of course, at securing Ireland's place in the United Nations Security Council. Um, and he's given a lot of service to the state in that time. Um, but this was a key, key error that was made. And, and, and I think this, you know, it, it's not a situation I'd like to see him resign over. Uh, and I think that's why we saw such a very wide margin yesterday in terms of the, the vote and no confidence. Okay. Just to say that I think it was a political stunt. OK, OK, let's go back to the issue that we invited you on to speak about this morning. And this is a call on the Biden administration to open up US travel for fully vaccinated Irish people. Is it possible at the moment for anyone to travel into or out of Ireland to the States? So what has happened is that the Biden administration um, has rolled on a ban that had been put in place during uh, Trump's administration around international travel by European Union citizens into the United States of America. So at the moment, there are planes that are flying between North America and the United States into Ireland. Many of these are carrying uh, important cargo for the likes of our pharmaceutical companies. But also, Ireland allows US citizens come into the country, of course, with the usual restrictions in place around vaccinations, around proof of vaccine around um, requirements for, for, for COVID testing as well. Uh, and, and what we have not seen is this being reciprocated by the United States. Uh, now, many people may feel that this is not an important issue, uh, but unfortunately, uh, for the hundreds of thousands of people across North America who are also Irish citizens, uh, those that are there on particular visas are now uh, not, on, not able to travel back to the Republic of Ireland uh, because of this ban and return to the United States because some of the visas that they have don't actually allow for this. And we've dealt with a number of extremely tragic cases involving, um, you know, people who've become gravely ill. Uh, you know, we had some people uh, that had been caught up with very serious family situations and hospitalizations, and, and unfortunately with bereavements as well. Yeah, I think, that's, I think that's, that's important to point out that this isn't all about leisure travel. This isn't about people who just want to have a weekend in New York or you want to take the children down to Orlando to visit Disneyland. There's a lot of other reasons why people need to travel. Exactly, Patricia. And my own Oireachtas office has been inundated um, with a number of very, very 
uh, unfortunate um, circumstances of people who have been separated by this particular ban. Uh, and we must remember that there were many thousands of people who emigrated to America or are currently working in America uh, on a temporary basis um, that are very badly affected by this and have not seen family members for an extremely long time as a result of it. Uh, we had one case recently of a, of a bereavement of a, a person working with the U.S. Um, the U.S. Defence Forces in terms of their military, uh, who was an Irish citizen, and in terms of the repatriation process there, uh, no family member was able to travel in order to, to work and facilitate the return of, of the repatriation of the person that was bereaved. Uh, and I think that that is something that uh, it just shows that there's a very cold, um, cold effect of this particular ban. But also from an economic standpoint as well, before COVID-19 took place, there were up to 2 million passengers travelling from United States into Ireland on an annual basis, uh, of course, bringing enormous investment in, in resources to our tourism industry, to our foreign direct investment. Our own county in Cork is home to tens of thousands of jobs between American companies and places like Apple and Pfizer and other pharmaceutical companies and technology companies throughout the county. Uh, and I think it's very, very important that we try, try and get this ban lifted. Um, I spoke to the Irish ambassador in Washington uh, yesterday, Mr. Dan Mulhall, who is leading European efforts to try and get this uh, this ban lifted, uh, and also that he should will be travelling to uh, New York for the UN Security Council meetings uh, next week. Uh, I had a meeting yesterday with Antishak Mihal Martin on this particular issue. I'm very grateful to him for, um, for, for having time to discuss this particular matter with me. Uh, and I think it's been in the interest of our, of, of our country, uh, of the economy here as well, and also for those families that are separated by this issue that we would see the easing of this restriction by the United States uh, and for the rest- restoration of bilateral travel so Irish citizens can once again enter America yeah. uh, for, for okay. many different purposes. Okay, because yeah, cause Pat says, could, could you ask uh, Deputy, Deputy James O'Connor, are, are we missing out on business opportunities? And you reckon we are? I definitely think so. Yeah. Um, you know, there's, a diff- there's a, many different aspects of, of, of um, the American-Irish business relationship, whether it's working in financial services or in, in pharmaceuticals. And I am hearing that from the business community, that, you know, uh, this issue is causing them difficulties in trying to secure new investments uh, to try and, and, and work on business deals and, and other aspects of in-person meetings that sometimes are required uh, involved in, in, in high-value transactions. Uh, around around making critical decisions on where to locate investments. Uh, and I think that's very important. But the one thing that worries me the most, Patricia, is that the demand for American flights is obviously crucial for a small island economy like ourselves. Uh, we've worked very hard to establish direct links to the west coast of America, uh, to California, which on its own is the, is the eighth largest economy in the world, uh, and to the Republic of Ireland through routes to San Francisco, uh, to routes to Los Angeles as well. And I think it's very important that we would see um, a restoration of travel between those locations, which is very, very important for all aspects of our economy. And people may be sitting at home saying, how does this relate to my own lives? But I think it's important to, to point out that from an economic standpoint, you know, this is about job creation. Uh, this is about uh, maintaining investment into the country uh, and about, you know, ensuring that we once again see uh, the regrowth of the Irish aviation industry, which contributed billions to the economy on an annual basis and employed up to 160,000 jobs in Ireland uh, for a workforce of just over uh, 2 million people. That's a very staggering amount of, uh, okay. of people involved. Okay, and of course we have probably some of the highest vaccination rates in the world, which I'm assuming that the Biden administration is very aware of. Exactly. 
So looking at the epidemiological situation between the United States and Ireland, uh, there is no comparison. Ireland has enjoyed international success uh, given the success of our vaccine rollout thanks to the very hard work of HSE workers, of logistics workers within the HSE. been lucky enough to visit the vaccination centre in Mallow uh, and also engage with workers involved in Pocket Cueve and other locations. And they're doing phenomenal work. Uh, but we have enjoyed one of the highest vaccination rates in the world, which has allowed us to control the spread of the Delta variant. Um, you know, these decisions were taken before that was the case. Obviously, we experienced a huge surge in July into August in terms of the growth of the Delta variant. Um, but unfortunately, uh, this, this ban has been in place now uh, for over 550 days. I think it was enacted by the United States uh, on the 14th of March of 2020. Uh, and it is causing huge international problems around around uh, international travel, around uh, the, the regrowth of the aviation industry. And, you know, the point I'd like to make as well is that people are very much uh, back travelling again that are fully vaccinated. My own office has been inundated in the last number of weeks with people applying uh, to get passports. And I would say to anyone in the Cork East constituency, if we can help at all, to be sure and get in contact uh, in relation to delays around passports. Uh, so there is a there is a demand among society to get back travelling once again, uh, whether it's leisure or, or business um, or family travel as well for, for family reasons. OK, and uh, hopefully but, uh, the weeks will fly and our old Cork airport will be back up and running uh, as well, James. OK, and of course, people are pointing out with uh, President Joe Biden's connection to Ireland, uh, surely he can be called on to help out. He certainly can, and, and that's something that everybody's aware of. President Biden has his own connections to Cork, to my own parish in Killa. <laughs> Um, so there can be so you will remind him of that if you ever get close enough. I, I've met him once, would you believe it? Yeah. I very much hope that uh, I'll get an opportunity Please God. Um, to meet him again. The last I, day I met President Biden, I, I had finished my leaving certificate. <laughs> and I thought so I might get to meet him in a different capacity. And, that, and that wasn't too long ago. Uh, 2016. There you, right. there you go. <laughs> uh, we leave it there, James. Listen, thank you for that and thanks for joining us on the programme. Thanks, Patricia. Good morning to you. Uh, bye bye. That is uh, Cork East Doll Deputy James O'Connor. Cork today on C103. Text or WhatsApp Patricia with your comment. 086 2103 103. And we're off to Fomoy the station where we're joined by Sergeant John Kelly. Good morning to you, John. Good morning, Patricia. And you're very welcome to the programme. And we start this morning with one burglary to report. I suppose, first of all, Patricia, congratulations. <laughs> I can't let the moment pass. Um, okay for your stellar contribution there to broadcasting in North Cork over the last 30 years and delighted that it has been uh, marked. Thank you. Thank you. And listen, to you guys and to everybody who's been involved in uh, Crime File, because that's one of the slots that literally has been going for the the 30 odd years that I've been on air. And there's been, you know, so many of you have, have stuck with it year after year and others have come and gone. And sadly, we've lost some of those who, who used to broadcast and, and do the uh, do the report every week. So thank you. You've all played your role in your own way as well. So, But, but I appreciate you talking about it. Thank you. Thanks, thanks, Patricia. Okay, so um, tell me about the burglary. Burglary, Richardstown Donnery, last Thursday, the ninth. Um, we're just looking to maybe if anybody saw anything in that area. Uh, the person came back to their house and discovered three males in the house. Uh, they they exited very quickly and they went through a garden um, under under a fence. They got into a black golf, no better description, and they left down Convent Road. Maybe somebody that was in the Donnerail area that saw something, saw a car leaving at speed. They may have dash cam footage. If so, would be very interested there, either in Fermoy or Mallow or indeed any Garda station, if you could make contact with us. Um, okay, and the date of that again? 
was last Thursday. Last Thursday, last, last week. Thursday. Okay. Last All Thursday right. night. Okay. Um, I don't I don't have a better time for that, unfortunately. Okay. Um, All right, but last now, Thursday. Just to mention fraud, bank fraud, I mean, there's still plenty of it happening. I suppose the good news is, and I saw it picked up there in one incident uh, this week, two-factor authentication has been rolled out at the moment. And in, in one particular case, straight away, it worked, whereby uh, a gentleman, he got a te- text um, to his phone asking him to approve a transaction for 2537. He, he knew straight away, that's not me. So he, he just uh, went no on the, on the push notification. The bank contacted him and cancelled his card. So, so basically, the, you know, two-factor authentication is being rolled out. Um, but at the moment, I would say to people, look, check your bank statements. You know, just make sure your recent transaction, check and make sure they're in line with your spending and, and where you've used your card. Because I have come across uh, instances of people just realising when they've gone through, I didn't do that, you know, and uh, contact, contacting your bank. And it them. normally starts as a very small transaction, like for a couple of euro. They're normally very yeah. small transactions. Yeah. yeah. And it can be a, even a recurring transaction. I've seen people go back and suddenly they see this 25 quid once a, once a week or something. Wow. You know? Now, if there's, if there's quite a lot of money moving through accounts, you may not notice that, mm. you know. Uh, and it's only if you kind of go through your statement kind of forensically that those little things will, 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 get, will get picked out, you know. So, so we, we need to get into the habit. And I know banks have a tendency to stop sending out bank statements. Uh, everything now has gone online. And yeah. that has an advantage because by having it online, you can once a week just go down through your, your statement you know, you don't have to do it every day, but you can do it once a week. Just take a quick look and make sure, yes, I did that. Yes, I withdrew that money. Yes, that's a direct debit that I, you know, or whatever it is. Correct. And just and, Correct. and make it a kind of a, a weekly routine. Correct. But unfortunately, we get into a bad habit and don't start doing that. Yeah. yeah. Uh, you know, and, and that's where some of the problem is. We keep putting it on the long finger. But if, if you... If you form a habit of, do, of doing it, you'll pick up those, those items fairly, fairly straight away. Um, another couple of things that I'd like, uh, like to mention as well. Um, one was an incident that we had over last week, exactly uh, this day last week, over in Mitchellstown, uh, called around lunchtime, where a person who was making deliveries for a small, uh, smallish firm, um, they, they tend to, some of the smallish firms, they tend to collect maybe some money as well, from, from businesses that they're dealing with. You won't find it with the very, very large firms, but there are some small firms still doing that. Um, but it would appear that this uh, uh, Dublin-based gang who have operated in this area previously, um, they would be highly professional. They would uh, target maybe, you know, some small businesses doing deliveries, hoping that in this case they were successful. They got a, a sum of money that uh, had been collected and was in the... Uh, was in the vehicle that was being used. So uh, any any businesses, if they are in that uh, thing, they should have a, a drop box or a small safe uh, ro- internally bolted on to the to the to the structure of the of the van itself, just for uh, just to guard against against theft. But this gang, just to give you an idea, of it, we call this uh, bank jugging. Is whereby they mount what you could call a surveillance operation. They move out. They move out of Dublin early in the morning. They may spend 15 to 30 minutes, you know, across from a bank or watching, watching for anybody leaving with maybe a largest, largest envelope or a packet that they didn't have when they went into the bank. Um, they'll follow them then to, to a car 
and um, they may at that stage then even follow them when they leave and maybe they, they might leave and drive half a mile maybe to the to the to some supermarket or shopping centre and park up. Uh, and in some cases, they will use a signal blocker. The person will get out of their own car, and and they'll they'll uh, flick the flick the switch on the, on their uh, the key fob, you know, on the, on, the, on their key fob. Yeah. And a signal blocker w- would block the signal. So literally, unless you've checked, your van or car uh, could be unlocked. Uh, and in some cases, you, you know, the the envelope with the cash could be inside in the glove compartment. Um, in some cases, they'll even try and approach. Uh, and discreetly kind of open the passenger door slightly so that when the victim engages the central locking, the car doesn't lock but appears to be as the hazard lights still flash. So just make sure, if you've collected cash, just make sure that uh, uh, that you retain it on you at all times. You don't leave even, it, even for a short period of time. Even for a short period. They've even been known on, on, on occasions that uh, puncture a tyre so that the victim will leave the car to inspect the tyre, just leaving it unoccupied. My now, goodness. They are very, very aware. And uh, they will, as I said, park and observe. And sometimes they've been known to go into banks, join the queue, and just wait until somebody is seen leaving with an envelope and leave after them. You know, so just for people to be aware of this, they're doing this. Uh, this is a highly active gang. They've been doing this on a nearly daily basis for years, you know, resulting in hundreds of victims. They're making quite a lot of money out of it. They've really, really honed their skills. And, um, uh, there was an incident there about, I'd say, five or six years ago, where following a warning that we gave out, um, uh, there was a lady actually noticed she was being followed. And uh, they, we, we got a member of the gang at that particular time. Um, so, But they're active, at the, uh, they're active at the moment and they're making a considerable living from it, Patricia. You yeah, know? and that's, th- that's why they keep at it, because they are making that's, a living. And f- and then, keep at it. And, then uh, and, and I can see somebody saying, I've just had a voicemail from Amazon saying they're taking €79 Euro out of my account. I've never done any business with Amazon. I knew straight away it was a scam. That's Amazon one. Is, is, I can't believe that that's still doing the rounds, uh, but it yes. is. And very finally, guttering and painting fraudsters. Yeah. They're the bogus tradesmen, they're yeah. still around. They're away during lockdown of 2020 and 2021, but they're back out there. Uh, you know, they're, they're, they're spray painting, shoots, guttering, roofing. Uh, they've even reinvented themselves in some cases the tree, as tree surgeons, you know. Oh, so, look, sake. please, please, please. Do not engage. Them. Clear them. Keep an eye out. Community is community. You know, the guards can't be everywhere, you know, and there's a uh, there's a responsibility on us all to keep a lookout on for the vulnerable and the aged in our street or in our areas, you know, and make sure that they're not taken advantage of. You know, call if you see the white van or the red van or whatever, you know, just call and see are they okay? That yeah. they're not being pressurised into the, into uh, dealing with those guys and paying you a know? lot of money for shoddy for shoddy work. Listen, Absolutely. John, we leave it there. Thank you for that and thanks for joining Thank you, us. Patricia. Good afternoon or good morning Hello. to we're heading to afternoon. That is Sergeant John Kelly based at from the station. And once again, thank you. Still more texts coming in congratulating me on the Hall of Fame award uh, yesterday. Uh, Christine says, "I Patricia, I'd love to pop in and see the plaque someday." <laughs> 
Well, we're hoping to get it up in reception and when COVID times have passed and when we're able to reopen and welcome one and all into the radio station, Christine, you'll be more than willing to pop along and take a look at it. And thanks to Dennis in Ballinora and also to Martin Higgins, who said, I had the honour of being interviewed by you a few times on your show. All the best, Martin's Jams. And I remember Martin's Jams, they, he makes jams in Mallow. Hope you're still making those jams, Martin. They were always uh, delicious. And thank you to the Mayor of Cork County. There's passionate for you, Gillian Coughlin, taking time out for very kind words, uh, Gillian. I appreciate that. And hi to all the Barrett family in uh, Church View and Eileen in Ballyhay. Thank you. Just some of the many people taking time out to contact us today. As I say, I really do appreciate them. Can't get to mention them all for obvious reasons. Let me get back to your thoughts and comments coming in. Still people very annoyed over this Catherine Sapone affair and the vote of no confidence yesterday which passed uh, for in favour of Simon uh, Coveney. Somebody's saying Micheál Martin should be sacking some of his Fianna Fáil members but he won't. He says if his members don't vote or didn't vote for Simon then he would suspend them for six months. That's not the way to do business according to this uh, texter. And someone else is picking up on that point as well. If I can find it there's so many comments coming in on uh, this uh, Mary in Bantry is saying Simon Coveney should have the, gra- the grace to resign. He seems to be blaming Mary Lou Macdonald for all of his woes. They don't seem to have any moral compass. If he was in England, politicians in the UK resign straight away when anything is mentioned, any kind of a, a scandal or anything that's untoward. But it doesn't seem to happen in this country, according to Nancy in Bantry. She says they seem to hang in here and hope that people uh, forget. Jim in Clonakilty says... Simon on the Simon Coveney affair. People may remember this. Brian Coveney was on early morning radio on national radio a number of years ago and his voice was slightly slurred. You remember that? He was, it was a Fianna Fáil thinking somewhere up in the country and there had been a bit of a late night session, kind of a social side to it. This was for pandemics and people were able to enjoy themselves they'd have their thinking and then you know they'd all maybe go have a nice meal and go to the bar have a few drinks I think there was a bit of a sing song and all of that anyway uh, uh, Brian Cowan at the time was Taoiseach and he was due to do an interview on Morning Ireland about how the thinking was going and his voice did sound a bit husky a bit slurred yeah it was a bit slurred he definitely I mean you could have taken it anyway you could have taken it the man hasn't had enough sleep or some were saying, is he drunk? Some were saying, is he, is he hungover? Anyway, that happened. And Jim and Clannick Hilty wants to point out that he reckons, now I'd have to get this double checked, but he reckons Simon Coveney was the very first to start tweeting about it, saying that the Irish Prime Minister is drunk on radio. At the last election, the same Simon Coveney said, Micheál Martin isn't fit to be Taoiseach. Micheál Martin sacked Barry Cowan for a historical drink driving episode. But now he seems to be standing by Simon uh, Coveney. Uh, Jim says it's all a bit hypocritical. 1850-333-103. On the opening of Late Night Bars, John in the City says he's all in favour of this proposal, which we're hoping actually to talk about in more detail tomorrow. This proposal coming from... It seems to be coming from the Arts Minister and the government are seriously looking at plans to dramatically change Ireland's nightlife as the pandemic ends. And one of the proposals on the table is that people could be at nightclubs, dancing and drinking 
across the country until 6am in the morning and the, certainly the bulk of the calls we've had in today are people against it but John in the city says it's a terrific idea and he says if you go abroad all of the nightclubs are open until the small hour, hours of the morning what happens then is the crowds come out at staggered times because of that there's less fighting and there's less antisocial uh, behaviour yeah, and that was a point I made earlier John as well and I do think that's part of their thinking obviously all they're hoping also that it'll inject more money into, into that industry but I do think the thinking is that there's less antisocial behaviour if you stagger the times that people come out of various clubs nightclubs and uh, late bars so he's all in uh, favour of it then we were talking about online banking in the last hour where we were talking about the need with Sergeant John Kelly how we should get into the habit of once a week if you do your banking online to check take a look at your statements online once a week and make sure that all of the transactions that you do they're all genuine transactions because he said that's how the fraudsters can get into your account if for somehow you've been compromised and they're in your account it'll start with small amounts of money that you might not even notice and before you know it then your bank account has been cleared out so he says the safest way to do it is get into a habit of once a week going online taking a look at all of the everything that all the transactions that happen and if you can go tick 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 did all of those then you know you're okay. Mary and Kilwood said there's a problem with that that not everybody does online banking and she said she used to be able to go into Bank of Ireland in Fomoy and print out her statements but as we know because we discussed it on this programme that facility now has been taken away from customers of Bank of Ireland. She now has to wait for them to post it out and they only I'm open to correction but they probably only post them out four times a year is it every three months? I remember when I used to get them by post, it was probably every three months you got them, four times a year. You certainly didn't get them uh, monthly. And she's making the point that it could be too late then to check if something has gone uh, wrong, which is a fair and a valid point uh, to make, Mary. And you're not on your own on that one for sure. There'll be many many others will be agreeing with you because not everyone, not everybody does uh, banking online. 1850-333-103. Bernie's taking your calls in particular. We are looking for your pet questions because uh, Jane Pickett, our resident vet, will be joining us uh, later on in this hour. So if you have a pet question, you can get it in. You can text, you can WhatsApp 0862 103 103. The C103 Cork Diary. With the new Explore Cork app, a Cork County Council initiative featuring over 850 places to see and things to do. And Michael O'Mahony from Rathmore is continuing with his fundraising by walking the roads of Rathmore and he's raising funds for the air ambulance. He is doing two to three miles a day and his plan is is to walk six to do a 60 mile goal in total for the month of September. Now you can support him by taking part in your own area. He's asking you to walk, to run, to cycle or even stroll the 60 miles during the month of September and donations then can be made through Michael O'Mahony's Facebook page or contact him at 087-667-6817. And Kildallery Community Development Association, they've got their weekly lotto draw and their weekly lotto draw is held uh, every week in the community office on a Thursday. So it's going ahead this afternoon at four with a jackpot today of €3,300. Skibbereen Country Market will go ahead tomorrow, half 11 until two. It's in Abbey Story Church Hall. There'll be lots of cakes, bread, jam, chutney and 
and plants on sale. And a drive in Bingo in the Creamer Yard in Kildallery will happen tomorrow night and that's at 8pm. And then on Saturday to celebrate the bicentenary of St Martin's Church in Farnavan, Mass will be celebrated on Saturday 2 o'clock in the afternoon and the Mass uh, will be celebrated by the Bishop of Cork and Ross Fintan Gavin followed by a book launch of the history of the church there will then be a plaque unveiling that will be followed by refreshments and music now seating will be available outside also and they'll have a big screen all are welcome and no booking is necessary 1850-333-103 and Mary was on to us from Mallow to see if we could find out when is the daycare centre opening in Mallow Mary is one of a host of people who are really missing out people who regularly went to their daycare daycare centres and we're endeavouring I've asked Bernie to send an email off to the HSC to see if they can give us the heads up on when daycare centres have opened. I have seen, certainly on social media, some daycare centres in other parts of the country that have opened. I don't know if any daycare centres are back up and running here in Cork or not. Now, I do know that for the day services, for the disability service, that they must be fully reopened by the 22nd of October. And I'm wondering when I was reading that, is that also going to include daycare centres? And Mary in Mallow, I mean, I'm, I'm assuming it's she herself uses the daycare centre or somebody in her family uses it. But somebody, the last time we looked into it a couple of weeks ago, somebody was making the point that everybody who goes to those daycare centres has a tendency to be older people and all of them are fully vaccinated and have been fully vaccinated for a long time. And people were wondering why there was such a delay with opening the daycare centre. And there can be a lifeline for some people who are spend much of their week inside in their own homes you know, their one social outlet is their day out at their local daycare centre. So there's a lot of people really desperate and really want their daycare centres to be back up and running. So as I say, we have sent off an email to the HSC, Mary, and uh, as soon as we get a response from them, we'll bring it to you. Thank you for your call, though, to 1850-333-103. Court today on C103. Call Patricia with your comment. 1850-333-103. Give your texts and calls uh, coming, particularly for Jane Pickett, please, our resident vet. Thanks to the gang in Bally Desmond for sending on their congratulations and to Nelly in Clonakilty. Thank you to Marion and all in Colin really really nice words thank you I've got to get all emotional with some of the nice texts that are coming in here and Michael Coleman remembering the early days in West Cork I remember them well Michael and I have such such fond memories of the early days in West Cork Jimmy is in Carrick Navarre thanks a million Jimmy for your kind words as well okay close the pubs says another listener I hope that they raise the price of drink in the budget that's come in from Bill who I, I do I assume from that Bill very much against the notion that they're talking about allowing nightclubs and late bars to remain open until 6am in the morning. If our bill is way close all of the bobs. Are you saying full time you'd close all of the bobs? We've been talking about scams and said I got a text yesterday about online banking from Bank of Ireland. I don't do online banking so I knew immediately that it was a scam. And when I mentioned 
daycare centres and somebody was on about the Mallow Daycare Centre and could we find out when the Mallow Daycare Centre is open and I said that I'd seen online that there was some daycare centres open. Somebody's been on to say the Bantry Daycare Centre has been open since the 10th of August so I I don't, that's fantastic to hear. I just, I can't understand how some have opened and some haven't and I don't know whether that's a staffing issue or not. As I say, we are going to get on to the HSE and if we can just find out for those, particularly those that are still closed, just any kind of a date when they're going to reopen so that people will know. And then somebody was on saying, Patricia, isn't it sad to read about the Kerry babies? Again in the paper, you know, I was heading to Dublin, as you know, yesterday morning I was on that early uh, six o'clock train uh, to Dublin and I couldn't believe that I was once again thinking back and remembering because I was thinking that it's nearly 40 years ago. And as I was starting to find out what was why the Kerry Babies was back in the news again, I was thinking of all of the people in their 20s, in their 30s, even in their 40s, who have absolutely no recollection, have no knowledge of the story of the uh, Kerry Babies. And of course, the Gardaí pains to come out and say that they haven't identified any suspect in the murder case. And of course, it's baby John was the little baby that has never, ever been identified. He was found on a county Kerry beach and it's 37 years ago. But of course, there has been huge advances now in DNA and in that whole science behind DNA. So they've they decided, let's look at DNA samples again. And the plan is now to try to at least identify some relatives of ba- baby John. The body of the, just to remind people what happened to they reckoned the little baby, baby John, was about five days old. He was washed up on a beach near, near Cahar Sivine in Kerry. It was April of 1984 and the child had been stabbed 28 times and then dumped in the sea. The remains of baby John was exhumed. It's, he got buried in the Holy Cross Cemetery in Karasivim. But the little, the little baby was exhumed last Tuesday morning. It was then brought to Kerry University Hospital. New DNA samples have been obtained and then it was reinterred again in that afternoon. Dozens of people in County Kerry seemingly have voluntarily provided Gardaí with DNA as officers now are trying to track down the parents or at least the relatives of this little murdered baby. And the purpose of of exhuming the body on Tuesday was to try to obtain new, better quality DNA sample from the remains because there had been concerns that there has been some contamination of the original samples that would have been taken 37 years ago. And then, as I mentioned, there's been massive scientific advances in DNA sampling in the last 40 years. For nearly 40 years now, the case of baby John has remained completely unsolved through a lack of evidence, a lack of witness testimony. And of course, you've got to accept that the early guard investigation was botched. And we all would remember, those of us that remember it, that they tried to blame somebody who was completely innocent, poor Joanne Hayes from Abbey Dorney and what that woman and her family has been through. Now they've since received a state apology but what, what they had to go through at the time and what they've gone through uh, since. So, blood and tissue samples did exist from the time that little baby John died but investigators felt that a larger sample could now be the key to unlocking the dark secrets behind the death of baby John. Gardaí have not so far identified any relative of the in, of the infant and there are pains to point out that there is no smoking gun here in the sense 
that a person or persons of interest in this murder case have not yet been identified. And obviously that's what happened in Kerry. Rumour went around when news came out that the little baby was going to be exhumed on Tuesday. Everyone was saying, oh, they must know, they must have some information. They must, if they're, if they're going for DNA now, they must be sure that they've got suspects. But the guard, the Europeans, to point out there are no, there's absolutely no suspects. But what, what has been happening behind the scenes is a cold case review into the murder was established three years ago in Carlsavian Garda, Garda Station and it's involving local personnel as well as investigating officers from the Garda Serious Crime Review Team that they're obviously based in Dublin. Now speaking on Radio Kerry yesterday Inspector Flora Murphy he's been heading up the joint review into the investigation said Gardaí sim- all the Gardaí want to do is they want to deliver justice for baby John. And then in the Irish Independent today Conor Feehan and Ken Foy are writing and they were out on the streets of Kaharsaivim chatting with people and obviously it was the talk of Kaharsaivim on Tuesday particularly when people realised that there was something going on at the cemetery and people quickly realised that the little baby's body was being uh, exhumed and there's a quote in the paper today said nobody knows what happened and people would rather know. There's been a cloud hanging over the area now for the 37 years since this little baby's body was discovered. And when there's no clear information, you get speculation about what actually happened. Any theory could be right. The fact that the baby lived for five five days before being killed makes you think that there was some planning in the death and that it wasn't a rash decision. But at this stage, who knows? We live in a different Ireland now it was a darker, a more backward place 37 years ago. That was down to religion at the time. It was down to it being a very rural area. There are things that are perfectly acceptable to talk about today. And thank God that we can talk about things today. But they were frowned upon and they certainly weren't talked about back then. There was shame. There was stigma attached to a pregnancy and particularly if it was childbirth outside of marriage. And one local councillor by the name of Norma Moriarty says there has been a real sense of sorrow around the whole Baby John uh, story. She said everything about this is tragic, tragic, every single thing. And the injustice that was done to another party, it was tragic. And the indictment on the society that we lived in at the time, and we can't shy away from that. Baby John's remains were placed back in the coffin at about four o'clock in the afternoon. And then it seems bouquets were placed on top by members of the investigating team, which I think is such a gorgeous, sweet thing on behalf of the the investigation team to actually do that, to actually think, well, look, we're putting little baby back into the ground. Let's put some nice fresh flowers and some wreaths on it. So, So well done. And all we can do now, all we can hope and pray for is that nearly 40 years on, something will come out from the scientific evidence from the DNA and even if they could track it back to relatives and, you know, they may find relatives of this little baby who will be absolutely shocked to realise that they were related. And, you know, 37 years ago, in many ways, it is a lifetime ago. And, you know, that person that said it was a very dark time and people didn't talk about things and it was a very conservative backward place would you call it backwards but it was certainly we lived in a much more conservative society but if somebody gave birth to a little baby and then kept that baby alive for five days and then did whatever that, that they did surely somebody else was aware that the baby was born I've always felt it couldn't just have been 
the mother acting on her own way. How would you hide a newborn baby? I mean, anyone, any of us that have been blessed with ever giving birth to a baby will know newborns make a lot of noise. It would be, even in a rural area, wouldn't it be very, very hard? Even, and I know people have hidden pregnancies over over the years. I'm not saying that that's, you can't do that. You certainly can and people have uh, hidden pregnancies. But to hide a newborn baby for five days, I've always felt was the key that there has to be somebody else who knew something. And will, will they, at this stage, will they come forward? Because, you know, you'd like to think that they will. You'd like to think that somebody maybe is getting on in years, you know, because they've carried that with them for 37 years uh, as well. And it's a long, long time to carry a secret like that and such a tragic uh, secret. But, you know, I think it's great that the Gardaí are doing this cold case review. And as I say, the Gardaí, it's not to point the finger of blame at anyone, but more than anything, they just want to get justice for this little baby. So we'll wait and see what comes out from the better quality DNA that they have now taken from the from the body, from the remains of this little baby. And with the scientific advances in DNA and, as I say, so many dozens of people in that area have voluntarily come forward to give a DNA in the hope that they can some way join up the dots and find out a living relative of this little baby. 1850 333 103. Bernie is taking your calls. You can text her WhatsApp to 0862 103 103. Record today on C103. Text or WhatsApp Patricia with your comment. 0862 Let's go to the Islandwood Veterinary Hospital in Newmarket, part of the Mill Street Veterinary Group, where I'm joined by our resident vet, Jane Pickett. Good afternoon to you, Jane. Good afternoon, Patricia. And you are very welcome. Okay, questions in for Jane. You can keep them coming. You can text her WhatsApp 0862 103 103. And Bernie's also taking your calls. Let me go straight to a uh, WhatsApp from Jackie. Question for Jane, please. I've got a four-month-old male Maltese Shih Tzu. Can you picture that in your mind, a male Maltese Shih Tzu? Uh, he, yeah, gorgeous dog. He's coming along nicely, apart from walking on the lead. He lunges at cars. He's actually snapped the harness several times. Any ideas, please? Now, I have sat him down near the roadside to watch them go by. I've done that for 10 minutes a day, but that doesn't seem to be helping. Any other suggestions from Jane, please? Okay, this is a really challenging one, um, but well done on trying to recognise that this is an issue first and foremost so early on in this dog's training, which is really brilliant because you have a really kind of receptive, malleable little dog mind on your hands now. So this is much easier to sort this as an issue now rather than in a few years time when you have a much bigger, stronger, more established behaviour pattern. Um, it sounds like you've tried kind of desensitisation, which is kind of sitting on the edge of the road and watching the cars go by knowing that they're not a threat. And that doesn't seem to have worked. That might work in some dogs, but not in others, because it. Kind of, I suppose in one way, the, the reason that they lunge and chase cars a lot of the time is it's an object that's a bit scary. It comes up to them, they woof at it, they might lunge, and then it goes away. So every time that the car drives away, they think they've successfully fended off the beast and protected their owner. So sometimes it can actually reinforce the behavior a little bit more. It can go one of two ways. With this, I think you probably need to get a dog trainer involved. Um, And it sounds like you're really motivated and want to to get this sorted so you have a really good walking experience with your dog and it's stress-free. 
a lot of the time what it will require is um, very solid on the lead work without any cars present. So really getting your dog to focus on you when you're walking. So kind of checking in. So looking back at you, checking in, being aware of where you are, being aware of what you want on the lead. Um, and before you ever introduce, let's say, um, a, a threat or a distraction like a car. So that if you were to be in an environment where there were cars, say, like on the edge of a road or on the side of a path where there might be cars nearby, you have a strong bond and a strong only relationship with your dog so that you can get their attention and focus their attention on you rather than the car as the car is passing by because it's a safety thing for your dog obviously but you know as dogs get bigger although this may be a small breed dog they get bigger and stronger and if this dog were to lunge on the lead on a footpath that might be a safety risk for you as well um into oncoming traffic so it's really important to get sorted but it sounds like you're you know really motivated you want to tackle this early so best of luck but i would advise getting a dog trainer involved now to be able to give you really good guidance um, and some guidance maybe even with your dog present so that they can show you what to do okay and as with all pups get it in as get that training in as early as Absolutely. possible and then you build up the good habits rather than the bad habits now Margaret has emailed us uh, about her cat who is seven years of age a mix of indoor and outdoor very active always out and about catching mice for example but about two weeks ago cat came home with a sore paw which Margaret says got better without having to go see the vet but whatever happened to her seems to have changed her behaviour now she appears to be sleeping for much of the day and night and seems to be afraid to actually leave the house. She sometimes behaves as if she's barely able to walk even though her paw is completely better. Perfectly happy though, eating, purring, grooming but just, it's, it sounds like she's got some kind of a fright almost like she doesn't want to go back outside. What can I encourage her to do? Just on additional information, the sore paw uh, was one sore pad that was a little bit swollen. There was no blood, no breaks, nothing, no major trauma and it righted itself. But it was as if it was linked to some kind of a fright. Is that possible? Yeah, it's absolutely possible. I think when cats go out and about, um, they can get up to all sorts of things. Whether this was a simple little trauma, getting the foot caught in something, maybe a fight with another local neighbourhood cat, or even up to a more serious accident, um, such as an altercation with the car, it's impossible to tell. What I will say is that it's good that the, the foot healed on its own and that looks okay, but I think if your cat is behaving abnormally, it's always worth getting a vet check done. Cats are actually, because they are both a predator and a prey species at the kind of base of their instincts, they're really, really good at hiding any discomfort or trauma. So although the paw may have been there as an obvious lameness and that sorted itself out, I think if there's been this big upset in the behavior and the behavior's really changed to more sleeping, more indoor time, it would be best just to rule out that there's no problem that your cat is hiding that might show up on a physical exam with a vet and might need dealing with. So I'd say I'd advise a health check just to double check there's nothing physical there because you never know. Sometimes we see cats in that have evidence of, let's say, fractures and they might have had an altercation with a, a car many moons ago and their owner may never have realised they might have just been off for a day or two. Um, they're very, very good at hiding these things. It is, however, possible in the absence of any health concern it could just be purely behavioural. They may have, as you say, got a really, really big fright outside. There might be a new cat on the block that they're avoiding. They might have got stuck in something for a little while and now are looking to home as the safe place to stay so that that doesn't happen again. 
if it is purely behavioral, what I would say is just try and make it as relaxing you can in the home and make sure that there's, if they want to go outside, let's say if there's a cat flap or something like that, make sure that they always have access to come back in when they want to, that they're not, let's say, locked out of their safe zone, so locked out of the house. So I think that just availability of being able to get back indoors and your cat being aware of that is really important for them to gain confidence going back outside again. I think time, if it is purely behavioral, is probably going to be the best healer here. It may be that they forget a little bit, slowly gain some confidence with going out again and things might come back to normal. But I think it's just best to rule out that there mightn't be any underlying health issue causing problems first. Okay, listener has an eight month old pup that was born with just one testicle. Can he be neutered? Ah, So this little pup definitely needs to be neutered. Um, This is a really interesting one. Um, so puppies, when they are born, their testicles are within their abdomen. So they're kind of low down on the groin, but not in the scrotum. So the little sack of skin where the testes sit. They gradually descend down into a normal position. And they're usually in position by the time of their second vaccination, let's say 10, 12 weeks of age, sometimes a tiny bit later. But a puppy that's going on for, let's say, a little bit older, three, four, five, six months, should definitely have their testes in position. And if one is only there, it's less likely that he was only born with one. And it's a lot more likely that one is retained within the abdomen. So what's called a retained testicle. And they can be really problematic. Now, the reason that this pet definitely needs to be neutered um, and your vet will be able to guide you on when they feel most comfortable doing that, whether it's when they're a little bit bigger, um, let's say six, eight, 12 months, or whether they prefer to do it in a younger pet. It really depends on the size and breed of your dog and the potential location of that retained testy. Sometimes they need to um, go and hunt this down with a little bit of an ultrasound to allow us to locate where it might be within the abdomen before we go to surgery. Sometimes not. But the important thing is this pet definitely needs to be castrated because the testes that's inside in the belly will be at a much higher temperature than it normally would be inside the belly than it would be in the scrotum so where it's kind of out free flowing in the air and a little bit cooler testicles don't like to be overheated and when they're overheated they can sometimes become cancerous because they're not used to being in that environment so it's really really important that this pet is neutered and that both testicles are removed both the one that's in position and the one that's hiding in the belly to prevent further consequences to their health later on in life if they were to get testicular cancer. And that can unfortunately be a very sad, very serious disease and it's very easily prevented by getting this sorted earlier on in life. And at eight months, are we ready for it now? We should be. Um, Certainly I would expect the testes to be descended, but please speak to your vet because it really depends on their breed, the size and the potential location of the testes. And I don't have have details on on the breed there. But Shane has been on. He's got a mini dash hound. Uh, Dave. Lovely. (laughs) Dave is 11 (laughs) months of age and for whatever reason now has become nervous and has has started peeing indoors when we're out. He's very good at going out the back when we're at home or when we're out for walks. He'll go to the toilet. We're lost as to why this has started. Any tips on how to stop him from doing it. So fully house trained and has stopped being fully house trained. Okay, this is really difficult and I can I can understand it's really frustrating for you guys at home, particularly when he's, let's say, fully house trained or seemed to be and he behaves himself when you guys are at home with him. Um, I would say that any change in urination like this definitely has a root cause. It's probably not Dave just getting a little bit lazy. Um, first thing I do is make sure you clean the area where he's soiling really, really well with a pet safe cleaner so that you can remove all of the ammonia because he'll have marked that as his new toilet now. So you need to remove any traces of his pee so that he doesn't um, understand that that's where he's meant to go. 
Um, it sounds like his house training is still intact when you're around. So I suspect that this might be anxiety associated. So it may be a certain symptom of separation anxiety. So let's say post lockdown, if the family has returned to normal, you're out more often. It might be that he's feeling a little bit anxious and maybe is not as brave to go outside when you're away. Um, there are different things you can do. You could maybe pop in more frequently during the day if that was feasible with your schedule to let him out and also making sure that you have a really solid routine every day so everything's really predictable for Dave so he knows what's going to happen. Um, but as well as that, it may be worth speaking to your vet about pheromone diffusers. There's one on the market called Adaptal. There's plenty of other ones available that are kind of, they, um, you plug them into the wall, you can get them in collar format and they essentially secrete kind of a happy hormone that can sometimes smooth and relax the dogs a little bit. It's not a sedative or anything like that, but it can sometimes help with behaviours when there's a kind of an environmental change and it sounds like this might be a bit of separation anxiety. Yeah, actually, I was I was chatting with somebody who said that they were worried about their, their dog when they were going back to work because the dog was so used to having uh, somebody at home and they, they were realising there was a bit of separation anxiety uh, going on and uh, they've discovered leaving me on in the radio uh, quite loudly in the kitchen in the morning keeps the dog company <laughs> yeah it's a, it's a really good trick I use it for my own dogs when I, when I have to leave yeah them. and they said they've noticed the difference when they leave the radio on and there's a dog somewhere listening away to me and that's fine we'll take any listener that we can get okay Ollie has been on Sorry. to say uh, an older dog overweight it's a sheepdog mix it's 12 years of age wants to know is that dog now too old to put on a weight loss programme or would it be beneficial to, for his overall health but they're just worried at 12 do they just leave him alone kind of thing I would say it's absolutely never too late I think certainly at any age a weight loss program is going to be beneficial for their long-term health because you have to remember although we might be overweight on the outside that's nothing compared to what we call visceral fat so that's the fat inside the body around the internal organs putting strain on the system so weight loss at any age is always going to be beneficial what I would say, though, is the older the pet gets, if their mobility is a little bit restricted, it can sometimes make it a little bit difficult because exercise can sometimes be an issue in some pets in that situation. In an older dog, particularly, if they do have, let's say, um, you know, a few miles on the clock, it is best to get your vet and vet nurse involved with this. A lot of practices will run weight clinics and have somebody in their practice that's exceptionally interested in weight control and will be able to give you a calorie-controlled diet plan either with the food you're already on or a specific prescription food depending on how serious the the obesity is to be able to safely and effectively predictably reduce that weight so ask your local vet if that's something that they offer i know that's something that we offer one of our nurses is exceptionally interested in weight loss and providing weight loss plans and we see really really great success with a lot of pets it just takes a bit of commitment and planning but it's best to do it with a plan in mind rather than kind of a haphazard approach particularly when you're talking about an older dog that might have a few miles on the clock because you want to get it right for them um, and you don't want them to be feeling too hungry or a little bit deprived yeah. because obviously in their twilight years they like to have all of the good things in life so we try and do it as sensitively as we can. Okay but it's but definitely beneficial uh, as definitely. He for, for these last few years. Okay listen thank you for that Jane have a good week we'll talk next Thursday. You too. Thank, Thank you, very you. Much. Good afternoon. That is Jane Pickett, the Islandwood Veterinary Hospital in Newmarket, part of the Mill Street Veterinary Group. On closing time of pubs and could nightclubs and late bars remain open until two a six a.m. in the morning. Uh, Patricia, please let the closing time be as is. Eleven o'clock with everybody out for half eleven. It is working so well. Why destroy everything by changing these opening hours? Please, please, please let the powers that be realise that at least for families they know 
roughly what time their loved one is going to return home to their residence and there's a chance that they'll return home in a fair condition uh, and also it's keeping the virus at bay and someone else says oh my god nightclubs and bars to remain open longer like other countries people have to remember we're not other countries this is Ireland for God's sake the coronavirus will be with us for a long time and people are wanting pubs to remain remain open all night long and clubs uh, yet we can't get a bus to go to knock Shrine. Myself and my friend had to drive. Why not? Why not bring back the buses to go to knock instead of expanding pub times? Uh, you wait and see. Everything will go up in the budget, but they won't put up the price of drink. And that's from a new market listener. That's what I leave you for today. Thanks to Bernie Murphy. And once again, thank you for all your lovely calls and texts. John Green with you for the afternoon. Back with you tomorrow at 10. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.